Welcome to Beyond Prisons. This week, we're joined by Dr. Bria Willingham, an assistant professor of criminal justice at Plattsburgh State University of New York. She worked as a newspaper reporter covering crime and education for 10 years before entering academia. Dr. Willingham's research slash interests include black women's prison writings, higher education in prison, black women and police violence, the impact of incarceration on black families and children, and women in the criminal justice system. She is currently writing a book about teaching and writing in women's prisons. And before I send it over to Brian and Kim for the interview, I'd just like to announce that we have started a Patreon page at www.patreon.com beyondprisons. So if you'd like to support our podcast there, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you. So you wrote a piece titled, Prison is My Family Business, Reflections of an African-American Woman with Incarcerated Relatives Doing Research on African-American Fathers. In this piece, you describe how your race and gender experiences with incarcerated relatives presents a unique set of challenges when you're conducting research on how prison impacts the relationship between incarcerated African-American fathers and their children. Um, mm-hmm. And the question that I have for you is, you know, to the extent that you're comfortable, do you mind talking a little bit about your personal story and how your experience informs the work that you're doing? Uh, sure. So my brother, Rodney, he is now on year 25 of a life sentence in Pennsylvania, where I'm from, originally from Philly. And he's serving that sentence for a murder that he did not commit. I have a nephew who's also serving life sentences in Pennsylvania. And my father, he previously served time in Georgia, in the state of Georgia. And he was in prison for, it was over 10 years before he was released in, I can't remember the year, but it's it was a while ago. And mm-hmm. so at the time, that I did that piece, I was writing from the the perspective of a woman with all of those men who either were incarcerated or um, had been incarcerated. So when people ask me how or rather why I got into doing prison research, my answer is always, well, prison is my family's business. And I'm half joking when I say that. And then I follow up Mm -hmm. with, except we're not making money off the business, the business is making money off of us. And so when I decided back in 2005, when I was doing a a fellowship at Ohio State, and that's when I had decided that I wanted to go back to school to get the PhD. And I had, at that time, during the fellowship, it was a a journalism fellowship, because at that's when I was still in journalism. And I was doing a project on the 10th anniversary of the Million Man March. And so I was doing that that piece from the perspective of, you know, a, a Black woman with all these incarcerated uh, men in my family. So I decided then that I wanted to further study 
the prison system because I really, really wanted to understand why the system impacted my family and millions of other families like mine. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got into it. And so that, so my positionality as, um, as a researcher, as a black woman, prison researcher with these incarcerated rel relatives always informs my work in the way, um, in such a way that I can't separate myself from the work. And so I'm always upfront about that whenever I'm doing it, a, a presentation or I'm writing a piece, you know, is that the whole idea of bracketing where you acknowledge your your relationship to the work and then you know put it in a nice little set of brackets and then and then put it to the side because I didn't want to go through any of the research and pretending as if it didn't affect me. And I realized when I was writing my project when I was um during the during the fellowship and I was writing that essay and I remember sitting in my office and literally crying and typing because I had to write through a lot of pain and and other feelings that I didn't even know existed as I was writing about my brother and how he ended up in prison. And so it became obvious <laughs> to me at that point that going forward, this was not only going to be challenging work just because of the nature of the research, but it was going to be deeply personal and there would be no way that I could, you know, really separate myself from it. So um, what I don't do and what I'm conscious of doing, or at least I am vigilant about doing because I always have to remind myself, is that every story that I'm telling, though I understand it, every story is not my story. So I have to let other people tell their stories. And so when I wrote that piece, um, that actually came as a result of the essay that I had written during my fellowship because it ran in USA Today. And so, as you can imagine, I had, I had started getting a lot of letters from incarcerated fathers who were saying, you know, thank you for writing this piece. Um, it reminds me of my relationship with my children, or it reminds me of my relationship with my father or the relationship I did not have with my father. And then, and then also some, some women, some mothers of children whose father is incarcerated and um you know just and so the mothers were thanking me too and saying you know you you've helped me to explain these things to my children so all of those all of those things and so that's where i got the idea it's like oh well maybe i should do something with this right and so i um and that's when i I started uh, making contact with some of the men inside via letters and and via surveys you know and so that's how that that's how that piece came to be. But it actually took me a while to actually publish it. It was years um, because then I had started I had started the PhD program, and my original dissertation was going to be on that topic on how incarceration impacts the relationship between incarcerated Black fathers and their children, and for. For crazy reasons, um, I had to change it, and so um, that ultimately was not my dissertation. So, but I said I have all of this data. Like, so what am I going to do with it? I said, well, I guess I might as well, you know, get it published somewhere. But it still took me a while to to actually put it out there. And so, um, 
I'm glad it's out there. And um, yeah, so that that's how that that's how that came to be. And that's how. And so moving forward, you know, again, I always have to acknowledge my researcher positionality because it does exist and it's not something that I want to hide. You know, and so um, it even it, it even informs my teaching as well, because I'm always approaching my my courses from the from a, a perspective of not just critiquing the system, but critiquing how society views incarcerated people and their families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel you and I hear you. I had very similar experiences, uh, you know, to yours um, with, you know, both of my sons serving life. Mm -hmm. And they were arrested around the same time that I was writing my dissertation. And, uh, girl, it was... Oh, wow. When I say it was the most... I I wrote in a daze. I really Mm -hmm. did. It was that that whole period just seems, you know, I mean, obviously I remember everything, but I was also in a cloud, um, yeah. if that makes sense. No, it and, does perfect uh, sense. And, and the academy is not the most forgiving uh, place or understanding, so I was not necessarily getting the support um, that I needed to to get that project really to the finish line um, in a way that, you know, just made me comfortable. And I think that that was one of the, you know, things that resonated with me about your piece was, you know, it's not just about your role as a researcher, but it's also about being a black woman in this academy, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Having to write about this issue in particular, this set of issues in particular, but also, you know, having to, you know, defend why, you know, um, the approach or the methodology that you're using adds value when other people are telling you that this is, you know, that, that you come off as being biased. Well, fuck. I mean, right, exactly. Fuck? Of course I'm biased. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I, I was I was astonished. I was yeah. really astonished. And and it was just like, you know, I can't believe that, you know, um and I, I defended in, in twenty thirteen. I I mean I, I just I couldn't believe that we were still having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Like that our lived experience you know, was so completely devalued and dismissed by, you know, by the academy. But why would I be surprised? I, I don't think I was right. surprised. I was, you know. But you know what? I, here's the punchline with, you know, when I said I had to change my dissertation topic. So originally I was going to incorporate it in autoethnography, autoethnographic um method you know that the whole self-reflexive uh method and 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 so initially my advisor was all about it i mean he was so excited he's like this has never been done before in in this context and this would be good and and all this stuff and so we were on it and then like two years into the program he was like um yeah, not going to be able to do that. It's too sociological in nature and not American studies enough. 
And I said, what in the hell? I said, what can be more, quote unquote, American than prisons and black people? You see what I'm saying? So right. I, and, right. and I, I never got a, a, a sufficient explanation as to why he said that. I suspect mm -hmm. that someone got in his ear and said, um, we can't have her do that for whatever reason. So I had to, and I was really upset about that. I, and it, clearly I still am <laughs> because it just didn't make any sense to mm -hmm. me. So, um, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> well, this is, I mean, when people, when people wonder, why there isn't diversity in their PhD program, here's, here's mm -hmm. the reason, right? Mm -hmm. They derail, you know, the work that people are doing. And yes. they silence people in ways that, you know, it, it just makes it extremely difficult um, to keep going, you know, with the path that you want. And I mean, it's like, I doubled down and I was just like, fuck y'all, I'm not changing my topic. Like, I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I said this in, in an episode, like, you know, it seems like ages ago now um, with, with one of my uh, dissertation advisors or one of my readers, my outside reader, Tony Montero. But I, you know, I, I shared during that episode that, you know, they really didn't see the value of me doing this work, and they made me rewrite my proposal something ridiculous like eight times. Um, oh my in god! In an attempt to basically, you know, tell me to get the hell out, you know. And mm -hmm. it's like, and by the time I'd gotten to, you know, to the point where I said there are certain things, you know, I I will give on, and then there's some stuff that I, that I will not. Um, right. And right. this was one of those things. Uh, and I said I can't believe, you know, I mean, we we went from the evolution of this is just as wacky, and this could occupy another like twelve episodes. And I'm <laughs> about it, and I think that you know we have a right to be because, in part, what they do is you know they they damage your career, um, mm -hmm. they derail many of us, you know, and many of us just basically just drop out and leave. Yep. I mean, the attrition rate. I haven't checked, you know, on the numbers, but you know, you have many people who just don't get through the program. Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason. And I changed advisors something like three times because, you know, everyone in the beginning, they were very enthusiastic about this um, and, you know, about the, the topic of mass incarceration because at the time, you know, the new Jim Crow had just come out. So everybody was on this. Um, and when I presented, you know, what, how I wanted to approach it, they were like, oh, no, girl. Like, you need to go back to the drawing board and mm -hmm. bring us something else. Like, you can't, you're not going to talk about this from, you know, a subjective point of view as someone who is being, you know, impacted. And, you know, clearly we know that before people go to prison that there are other problems in the family. So I was dealing with, you know, <laughs> addiction and fire, you know, um, incarcerations and all kinds of things like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's like... It, Things weren't rosy before, um, and I, I just didn't feel, you know, like leaving that out of a dissertation mm -hmm. on incarceration even makes right. sense, you know? Because it's, um, you know, it's all relevant. It's all relevant. I mean, it's part of it's part of everything that we're, you know, part of everything that we're doing. And I think that, you know, you, you touch on this um, in your piece the dehumanizing aspect of, yes. you know, asking us to divide ourselves and divide our lives and to become, you know, this 
researcher who's completely detached. And I'm like, right. you know, that's some that's some white people bullshit. Like, right. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not about that life. <laughs> no, I'm not about, about that, that life. life. I'm like, no, 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 no. So, girl, I hear you. Um, Brian, did you you had a question you wanted to ask? Yeah, no, I mean, I would. I would love for you to dive into this a little bit more, this, the, the distance that is typically demanded of researchers and journalists, this idea of objectivity. Both of you brought up the term, the reflexive methodology, and I was wondering if you could just explain that a little bit to people who may not be familiar with the term. And also, if you could just, in your own words, talk about this approach of objectivity is not harmless. And I think you, you mentioned in the piece that it protects privilege and it allows contradictions to be preserved. And I was just wondering if you could dive into that a little bit more and, and talk about why this approach is important to your work and how it informs your work and how, and how it is sort of a critique of the objectivity. All right. First of all, as a as a former journalist, I was a, a, a news reporter for 10 years before I got into academia and I, my work was all in in newspaper. Um, so I was a print reporter. And when I was in journalism school, you know, the thing that was pressed upon us the most was you have to remain objective. You have to remain objective. The story is not you. Your opinion doesn't matter in this context and so on and so forth. And so as a reporter, you know, of course, I have my own opinions because everyone has them, right? <laughs> so even as a reporter, I had them. But of course, they couldn't come into my story. Um, but objectivity, I have learned, is such a farce, okay? Objectivity does not exist in, in journalism, because we darn sure see that today. Doesn't exist in journalism, doesn't exist in, in, in research, unless you're doing, you know, you're in a lab somewhere and, you know, those kind of things. But, and I, I say that because even when I even when I was a reporter, you know, the way that I would approach a story was coming from a subjective place. Mm-hmm. And it, it it shows I always tell students when I taught journalism, I always tell students, you know, I could give you all the same story and I would get 15 different versions of that same story because yep. everyone approaches a story differently. It shows up in, in the people you interview, it shows up in the questions you ask. And because reporters ask questions that are designed to get at a, at a particular angle that they want mm-hmm. or, or that they think the story is. Um, and and I, I taught a journalism class recently and, and I told them, Sometimes before you even leave the newsroom, your mind is made up as to what the story is and or your editor's mind is made up as to what the story is. And he or she will tell you, ask this question, try to get someone to say this. Okay, so that's why I say objectivity doesn't exist, especially in journalism. As far as in, in academic research. So and especially when employing you know, feminist methodology and feminist methodology doesn't even call for objectivity. Feminist methodology, it, um, it supports that subjective, that subjectivity. It, it encourages the, the researcher to uh, make some kind of connection with the, this, uh, the 
um, that you're you're researching and all design and especially in particular when you're um, researching women in the criminal justice system interviewing women in the criminal system it's it's um, uh, feminist methodology will you know it encourages the researcher to get on some kind of personal level and now I don't mean to mean that in a way personal as in becoming friends but personal as in it's okay to self-disclose right right so um, and so in doing that then it uh, creates that that self that self reflexivity and so it allows the researcher you know think about think about her role and i'm using the her pronoun because i'm talking about myself to you know th to think about her role or rather the role that she plays in the research so applying that to my work then as i said before given my family's background then I am always, and even when I'm doing research on women, I am uh, sympathetic, if you will, a little bit more, uh, if that's the right word, sympathetic with the women because I understand what their families are going through. And so as an example, when I taught a um, writing workshop at a women's prison, and the first thing that they asked me is, why are you here? Like, why are you doing this? And I said, well, I've never served time in um, in prison or jail, I, <clears throat> I have relatives who are incarcerated. And I told them about my father, my brother, my nephew. And um, so I know what your families are going through. And so self-disclosing. So um, those feminist methodologies allow you to, to do that. And it encourages that in, you know, in the research context. And so um, that's what I mean about, um, you know, objectivity doesn't, does not work when you're doing the kind of research that I'm doing. Um, it, it just simply, there's no place for it. And I know mm -hmm. that there, you know, there are some criticisms about doing that, that kind of self-reflexive work. Um, and especially with qualitative research, uh, you know, there, there are critics on qualitative research. It's not really research, you know, um, but you know, that that's BS to me, right? That's that bull yeah. Um, yeah. because when you are researching the system, whether it's the prison system or the criminal injustice system or any system in which, you know, uh, millions of people are impacted, you have to get the people's voices, right? right? And yeah. I cringe whenever, you know, I, I just don't understand research on prisons that don't include the people who are Im impacted by it. It makes absolutely no mm -hmm. sense. And so, well, I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. I'm always, and I think this is part of of my journalism training too. Like whenever, whatever topic I'm researching, I'm like, okay, who are the people? Because I want to talk to the people. Right? I want to talk to the people who are directly impacted by this. So when I right. the um, dissertation that I ultimately ended up doing was one about teaching in in women's prisons. And that was actually dissertation number three, Kim, because this, the, the one that I wanted to do was about women writing in prison. So I had, you know, wanted to visit, go back to the prison in which I had done the, the writing workshop and really spend some time with the women in the classes there and, you know, that kind of thing. And my university took me on a, a six-month IRB 
journey from hell. When I finally got approved, then the prison said, nah, we can't let you do that. So I had to switch topics. And so that's that's what um, resulted in topic number three. And so it was important for me, obviously, to to get those perspectives of the people who actually teach inside and not just look at it, come come at it from this, uh, you know, uh, observer, oh, excuse me, objective, you know, way um, where I'm just critiquing it from the outside. And actually one of the women that I interview who teaches in Georgia, she talked about, you know, how she self-discloses. And so just mm-hmm. even... You know, because and it was funny because her background was very similar to mine. Um, her father was incarcerated, and that's how she got into prison work and so on and so forth. And so, even the people who are working um, as instructors um, in a prison, <clears throat> and I'm talking about instructors who are um, from academia, not instructors who work for the prison system. Um, a lot of them are coming from their own. Um, places of experiences with incarceration. And so I just think anyone who is doing this work is coming from some place of, um, at some point in their work, they're going, they're going to encounter this, this whole um, self-reflexivity because even if going in, you don't have that same kind of personal experience as Kim and I have, once you get into this work, it's going to become personal to you. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't, if it doesn't, then you don't need to be doing it. That's how I feel yep. about it. Right? Say that again. <laughs> for real. No, for real. I mean, I, I'm, I'm if you, like, you know, yeah. So <laughs> if you're going into, um, if you're going into any kind of prison research, uh, particularly if you don't have the kind of personal experience that, with incarceration that Kim and I have, then you're definitely going to have some personal, you're, it's going to become personal to you once you get into the work. And if it doesn't, then you have no soul mm-hmm. <laughs> and you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, uh, get out of the way. And then mm-hmm. uh, one of the, one of the big critiques that I have about, you know, my, my discipline, uh, public policy is that, you know, like criminology, it uh, wants to leave out um people's lived experience, right? So particularly when we're talking about the role of the researcher. So we're crafting public policy based on, you know, and I've said this before, and I know I sound like a broken record, but I think it needs to be said. So repetition, you know, matters. That, you know, the cost-benefit analysis, you know, when that's the approach to crafting public policy, particularly around, you know, where we're talking about systems that control populations of human beings mm-hmm. as prison does when you take out the human and you want to claim some pretense at being you know unbiased and being objective you're mm-hmm. doing that deliberately and you're not mm-hmm. attempting to craft policy or develop theories about you know crime uh, in our society that come from a liberatory perspective, right? right? Like you're doing deliberately to, you know, um, continue to perpetuate the system that we currently have in place. And I think yep. that that's something that your work, I haven't gotten to the place where you are, where I've had the energy really to go back to the dissertation in part because, you know, it's like you need 
I think, you know, and as you pointed out earlier, um, it took you years to get to the point mm-hmm. where you could publish that work um, mm-hmm. and, and where you could revisit it for a lot of different reasons. And I think that, you know, that's something that people need to to also hear and understand that, you know, right. many of us have struggled to do this work in the academy. And mm-hmm. we have been, you know, silenced. We've been dismissed. Many people have been kicked out of their programs. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I said this during an interview with, with, uh, with Tony Montero um, mm-hmm. that, you know, even after I defended, I, there was someone at my university in my school who wanted the decision of the, you know, the, the, uh, my dissertation uh, advisors overturned. proposal for uh, what I call dissertation number two when I was looking at um, women's prison writings and in particular black women's prison writings and 
my committee told me that I had to quote unquote justify why I wanted to focus only on black women. And I said, really? I have to justify why I'm focusing on black women in prison. <laughs> so when you know, so enter enter race into into the context, and it's a whole other different. Uh, it takes on a whole other different form. Um, and so I, I sincerely felt some type of way about that um, that I couldn't really voice at that time because you know the position that you're in when you're just trying to get the degree. Um, but mm. it just speaks. It just speaks to. It speaks to the um, invisibility of women in prison in general, mm -hmm. and then especially Black women, which I find so ironic given the statistics of, of the Black women who are in prison, and mm -hmm. you know, so on and so forth. So yeah, yeah. White <laughs> people are so exhausting, girl. It's like, <laughs> exhausting. Tell me That's about it. Really oh my bad. god. <laughs> That's what that is, you know, all about, like, they're just, you know, trying to wear you out and, mm -hmm. you know, in an effort uh, to, you know, again, to include other perspectives and not seem narrow, which is just, like, ridiculous. When we right. look at numbers and, you know, for people who want to push facts all the time, they're like, oh, well, look at the numbers. How come the numbers, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we know that this system disproportionately impacts black people and people of color, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? When you're, huh? Like, yeah, it's it's breathtaking. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. I do want to talk about your your other piece that uh, you sent us to read. The one titled "It's a Way to Get Out of Prison: Writing and Teaching in a Women's Prison," mm -hmm. where you describe the research that you did on instructors who teach at women's prisons around the country. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, that project and who these instructors were and why that was important to you? Yeah, so that one was um, part of dissertation number three. So that's what I actually did the dissertation on. And so when I couldn't do the um, the dissertation about women writing in prison, a part of that that project was always going to be a chapter on the people who teach inside. And so I just took that out and made that the the project. So I was interested in how the people who teach inside, and these are again people who are college professors by day, and you know, violent prison volunteers by night, or you know, to use the cliche. <laughs> and um, mm -hmm. because I <laughs> I had a theory that they experienced prison in similar ways that the women in their classes experience prison, particularly um, and especially if they are women who are doing the teaching. And so I was mm -hmm. curious as to how, I was curious about their experiences. So how do they experience prison alongside their, um, their students? And so I decided to send out a query as I, I'm on a, a, a couple of prison listservs. And at the time I was on Facebook as well. So I put out some queries, you know, told people this, you know, this is my project. I'm interested. At that time, it was just um, I, I solicited people who teach or taught writing classes. And what I got back almost immediately, I started getting responses and people were saying, oh, this is great. I, you know, we, um, women's, um, 
issues are not are not highlighted, especially their education. So I'm glad you're doing this project. I teach a sociology class. I teach a biology class. I teach a theater class. And so I started getting responses from people who were not just teaching writing, but teaching um, uh, liberal arts classes. You know, they were um, mm -hmm. teaching a lot of classes that you find on college campuses. And so I said, oh, okay, well, this is, this is great. This is a, a this takes me into a, a whole other different area that I hadn't considered. So what happened was, ironically, the majority of the people who responded were women. And so um, I ultimately ended up with 17 instructors from several different states. So it was Pennsylvania, New York, Washington, Georgia, Iowa, in uh, Colorado, and they were all women. All see, sixteen were women, and, and one was 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 a man. What well, is a man? <laughs> and so, um, that brought up the whole gender question. So it was like, why? Well, why is this? So there really there haven't been any studies done, at least none that I could find at the time, on the you know the gender and the race of of um, college professors who teach these college courses in prisons. So there was a, there was a statistic from the Inside Out. Um, mm -hmm. that, you remember Inside Out, Kim? And so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, at Temple. So they had done a uh, they had done a study, or someone had had written about Inside Out, and I quoted it in the dissertation. But there was a study, and just the the people who come through the Inside Out training were primarily women and so um and I, I don't remember the number so so i'm i guess i'm saying that to say it necessarily wasn't a a coincidence as much as it was indicative of the people who are going through this inside out training or people who who tend to be uh, most attracted to doing prison volunteer work right um mm -hmm. and so i mean if you if we go back into the history of uh, women's prison reforms, you know, they were women, those reformers were women. So it's really not, if you start piecing the, um, the puzzle together, it's not really a big surprise. So anyway, so then, you know, so then I was like, okay, well then how are the women experiencing prison as they are teaching? And um, I became, you know, I got a, a lot of different stories and, and what you, um, the piece that you read is just a, a snapshot of, um, um, all these stories that I got. And, you know, what was really interesting too is the women were white. So all the people, well, mm -hmm. actually all the people, all the instructors were white. And so they, they were white, you know, white middle class or upper middle class. Um, and some of them were, um, well, the, mar the majority of them are prison, uh, excuse me, college professors. Um, there was one woman who is formerly incarcerated and she now teaches in the, the federal prison in which she had served time. So they ran the gamut. So there were varied, varied perspectives and, and varied points of life. And what was one of the things that was most interesting to me was how they negotiated or um, tried to negotiate their race and class privilege. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. and for for several of them, they were surprised 
that they reacted the way that they did sometimes. Um, so for instance, uh, or and or surprised to learn, maybe this is a better way to say, they were surprised to learn that the women in their classes are women. <laughs> you know? Right, and that they, right. Right. Yeah. they're human beings. Right, imagine that they have, they have a pulse and all of that stuff and feelings and stuff. And so there, there was one woman who, she had um she was teaching a, a writing workshop in a, in a in a bible study class in a women's jail in wisconsin and she initially didn't want to do it when she was asked to do it by um i think her pastor or someone like that and so um she didn't want to do it because she had grown up in this you know in an environment where the only thing that she knew about people inside was what she saw on the news and we all know how mm -hmm. those stories are distorted yeah. and she always had that those people kind of way of thinking and so she resisted it and she said it ultimately became you know um her calling she realized later on that it was her her calling that God was calling her to do this. And so when she went in, she went in already with those preconceived notions that these must be bad women because only bad women end up in jail. And so she was really surprised to learn that these women were, you know, like her, right? Um, like mm -hmm. her in the sense of that they're women too. And so she talks about her, her transformation her own self-reflexivity in the process of teaching this, this workshop, this um, writing class and, and Bible study. And um, another woman on the flip side of that, she talked about the students in her class who, you know, thought that because she's a college professor that she's rich, right? Number one, we all know that's not true, right? Ooh, girl, <laughs> I, I <win. laughs> <laughs> and how um so because she's just she's this educated woman that you know she couldn't possibly understand you know where they where they came from and so she said that she and this is where the title of the piece came from because it was part of her you know her statements to me and she said she she always tells them you know but it's, it's a very fine line that separates us because mm -hmm. my background is similar to a lot of the women who come through my classes because um, she was in an abusive relationship, her first marriage. And, um, you know, she didn't come from an affluent family. And, you know, and, and she talks about all of the abuses that she had suffered and so on and so forth. And um, the only thing that was different was she made a different choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so she tells them that it's just a very thin line that separates us because I could have easily been where you are. And so um, I thought that was very um, I, th I think that was probably one of my one of my favorite um, stories out of the whole project for, um, you know, and then other people, they talk about how. Um, the culture shock of it all. OK. Um, especially because so for some people you know they they volunteer to do this because they were just curious right you know because people in general we're we're curious about what happens in a prison because you know we're so closed off from prison which is mm -hmm. how why it was designed in part right and so um 
so they 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 want to do this out of some some sense of curiosity and some people go in unprepared because there really isn't a lot of training out there for people to to go in and, and teach inside it's not the same as teaching on campus and so you go they go in and they they experience this culture shock and you know they're all of a sudden they're up against all of these rules and stuff that they don't have to um that they don't have to abide by or rules excuse me rules that don't exist on a college campus and so this is where that um outsider within um concept comes into place because they they don't work for the prison or the jail right they're not an employee of the of the institution um and uh, they're not you know they're not incarcerated there. So the so they talk about how some of the the staff, particularly the um, corrections officers, will um, try other ways to intimidate them because yeah. you know the officers don't you know why are you here anyway? They right. those people don't deserve an education anyway. So they try to mess with them, mess with the the instructors in other ways. Like keeping uh, keeping them waiting when they know that class say starts at one o'clock or so, and so they they talk about how they had to navigate navigate the politics of of the prison in order to deliver their um, their courses. And so, um, you know, one one is one woman. She's an uh, she's an MD, a medical doctor, and she was teaching a biology class. And every week, she had to send in a list of things that she wanted to bring in for the lab, for the biology lab. And um, just about every week, she said that there was uh, things on the list that they would deny. So she had to get really creative. Uh, you know, on how to do this biology lab inside of this um, women's prison, um, you know, and then of how course, to do the biology office. without, you know, all the tools that exactly, exactly. Right. Um, you so to actually, you know, good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, um, you know, things like that. Um, and so it, it, not all of the stories were like that. So, you know, some of them were um, had found ways to to make it work. And, and and then there were some places where the classes were welcome. So you actually, you know, have some prisons that that want to have these education programs or these classes inside. And um, so it just it just really depends. Another thing that was interesting too is um, in the classes, you know, the difference. One of the main differences in a um, in education class in a men's prison versus in a women's prison is how how the students um approach the the, the course and or approach the writing assignments so typically mm -hmm. in, in men's um facilities they're they're critiquing the system itself mm -hmm. um, and it, they don't really get personal whereas in a women in a women's class you ask them you, just one opportunity to to go there and they're going to go there. So right. for instance, in um, um, the woman who runs the Bet for Hills program, she talked about an assignment once where she asked, um, it, it was on a writing assignment, and the question was something to the effect of um, talk about an event in your life that, that changed your life or something to that effect. 
And she said that the responses she were getting were just like, oh, well, when I was 10, my uncle raped me. And when I was a child, I was molested. And, you know, all of these really just horrible stories because up until that point, um, the women didn't have an outlet to express themselves on um, on how those right. experiences affected them. And so, um, mm-hmm. so that was so a, a lot of the in the project, I talk about a lot of those different types of um, deeply personal stories that come out in the, the women's writing assignments. Uh, and because they get so personal, then it raises another issue. And that is um, what happens to those stories? Like how are those stories protected? Because there was in some cases where um, you know, officers will will do a surprise raid on a room, and then they'll take a woman's journal, and then they'll make fun of the stuff that she's writing. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. There was another case where journals were stolen, and so it, <clears throat> you know, it really strikes that balance of when they do get personal. Then how how are their stories protected? So yeah, so mm-hmm. those, those those are some highlights. <laughs> those are some highlights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we could spend like three hours talking about right? that. Obviously. Right. Yeah. 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 A, a couple of things that came up for me when you were just uh, describing uh, this project and, and your work um, on it um, have to do with, you know, uh, three particular themes that, you know, you just talked about and uh, that stand out in a piece. Um, one is the the way that instructors um, describe their experience with incarcerated women as being an inspiration. Um, mm. The second one, you know, that this was transformational for them, for the instructors. And um, the third was, you know, about curiosity, right? That they went in to doing this because they were curious about what was going on in prison. And it, I got to tell you, I, w- I was pissed when I was reading um, this piece um, because, Lissy, you know, just reading the reaction of um, the the woman who was teaching the Bible study class, and it's mm-hmm. um, right at the beginning of your piece uh, where she said, you know, I had the expectation going in um, they were going to be hard and criminal-like yeah. and not yeah. very <laughs> We yeah. grow up labeling people nice or not so nice, mm-hmm. and it embarrassed me internally that I was reluctant to do what God wanted me to do. The mm-hmm. embarrassment and shame was that I was not seeing them as he was seeing them. Uh-huh. You know, and I read that, and I just started rolling my eyes, and I was like, <laughs> I mean... I'm just like, you know, but it, it speaks to, when I said white people are so exhausting, I mean, this mm-hmm. is a, a prime example. Like, here we mm-hmm. go. It's like, it's not really about the incarcerated women, but it's centering this woman's, you know, her feelings about, right. you know, and oh, I yeah. guess that was the, the right. point of the study was to explore that aspect of it. But mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, there's very, there's more about, this woman and herself than there is about, okay, let me tell you about the students and what, you know, and the transformation that I saw in them. Instead, it was, you know, and I get it. Right. That was the point of the study. Um, well, there, I have some I, of that in, it, it, not in that piece, but in the, in the dissertation itself. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's not in the piece that you read. Yeah. 
but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just, I mean, but it's, it's infuriating because it's sense of, you know, it's kind of like when people want to do, you know, I, I, years ago when I was teaching, we had a section, you know, in one of our courses on the city and students were required to read Jane Jacobs along with another book. So Jane Jacobs, mm -hmm. Death and uh, Life of Great American Cities. You know, and this is what this reminded me of, right? So mm -hmm. we would have these workshops, these professional development workshops and whatnot, um, where, you know, people are like, oh, I'm going to have my students go into X neighborhood and go see, you know, and write a, a paper about this. And I'm like, you're mm -hmm. going to do what? Um, <laughs> like, mm, mm, duh, no. Right. You know, <laughs> It just you know, it's like you don't treat people's neighborhoods and their the places where they live as a zoo exhibit, right? Yeah. Like right. Just, and right. that was that's what that quote specifically, you know, made me think of, and what mm -hmm. these themes that you drew out of, you know, your your study really reminded me of. That you know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm I'm going to be inspired by these mm -hmm. poor downtrodden folks who are locked right. up. And this right. is going to change me. It's kind of like the people who go and, you know, they, they do a study abroad or, you know, they travel to some far-flung place in order to have their, you know, eat, pray, love experience. And right. Right. Gonna, like, right. change forever. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, can we just stop with this? Like, right, and, right. And, but these are the things that, you know, um, and, and these are the folks who show up. So I don't know if you recall from uh, the Vanderbilt uh, Rethinking Prisons conference a few years mm -hmm. ago, but mm -hmm. there was um, a black male professor uh, there who was describing how he was, you know, barred from going back into um, one of the local prisons to teach a course on African-American history, right? And mm -hmm. um and, you know, it's like, and we we had a conversation around that. So I don't know if you were in that session or not. I don't, no, I don't, I don't remember. remember that one. But, but, you know, it's like that has stayed with me for so long, um, you know, because it speaks to exactly what you're writing about, that many of the people who get approved, because you, you do need to be approved in order to go into the prison, right? Right. Um, mm -hmm. That you need to have, you know, not just, um, well, the warden has to say, okay, and then you have to go through this whole process of, you know, getting in there and, and whatnot, and they review everything that you're doing um, and whatever. So it's like, yeah, so we had this whole conversation in this session around why, you know, as this black male professor at Vanderbilt, he would not be permitted back into an institution where most of the students in his course were incarcerated black men and mm -hmm. oh my god i'm still upset you know i'm still upset <laughs> yeah i get it i get it have, you have you know the these happy white women um you know who want to be inspired and are curious totally. no I, trust me I, I share your frustration uh <laughs> and um that was you know the like i said that the, the the reason I, I did this dissertation is because I couldn't do the one that I wanted to do, but I did I as much as I could through the interviews with the instructors include as much of the women's um, experiences in their classes in there. So, um, but when I revised this for the book, 
they're they're going to be more of the of women's voices. I'm going to somehow I'm going to get that in there. Um, because I, and that was one of the limitations of the study that I talk about. It's like I wanted to mm-hmm. go in and sit in on some of these classes, but you know, when you're when you are a PhD student, you don't have the money. Number one, because <laughs> I wasn't working at the time, mm-hmm. and um, and, and you don't really always have the time to do that. So yeah. I'm going to you know try to make it work because some of the um. One of the one of the women that I interviewed, you know, she's always said, you know, whenever you want to come visit, just let me know. So I'm gonna gonna hook that up, and then you know, talk to some women who went through the Bet for Hills program, who are going to be at a conference in New York, um, New York City, that I'm going to next week, talking about their experiences of going through the Bet for Hills um, program. So you know, that I have some opportunities now that I didn't have before to get the the women's experiences in there so it's not just a narrative about the people who teach yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well i'm excited and i'm looking forward uh to your book and i thank would you love to have you back on uh, this show um to to you know to talk about the book uh to talk more about the work that that you're doing um mm-hmm. brian do you have a um something that you want to ask yeah, I mean, you know, uh, on the subject of the experiences of the the women in these classes, you, there there is some of that um, in the piece that you shared with us, and I was wondering if we can if we could talk about that a little. Um, as mm-hmm. you mentioned before, you know, for a lot of these women, these classes and these writing workshops are some of their first and only opportunities to explore a lot of these issues, a lot of what happened to them, a lot of you know, putting things together in a timeline and reflecting. And I was just wondering if you could sort of talk about the liberatory power of these workshops and what and what you learned from your research. Um, because I think for a lot of people uh, on the outside, when they think about education in prisons, they're thinking about literal degrees and they're thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, accruing knowledge and not sort of the value of the space for people. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what those experiences um, helped women work through. Primarily, it, it helps women work through the issues that brought them to prison. Because for uh, for women who end up in prison, their their pathway is always laced with some kind of victimization. So women's criminality, if you will, is directly related to their victimization. And so that includes abuse as a child. Um, it includes abuse as an adult. It includes drug abuse or some other kind of substance abuse. It includes, um, for some women, uh, prostitution. Okay. So when women um, get to prison, they have endured um, years of of abuse emotionally, physically, and any other, just about any other way, that they have not had an opportunity to to work through. Okay, so they they haven't been able um, to receive any any treatment, drug treatment, or um, you know, treatment for their abuse or anything like that. So that when they get to prison, then, and they are in these classes, suddenly they they have this opportunity to share and that sharing then becomes such a cathartic process that is so cathartic that it, it is liberating 
And so they finally have this moment to exhale. Oh, did that just sound so corny, right? So, but no, but seriously, they have, <laughs> they have the chance to exhale to finally get it all out. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, and so it shows up in, in writing assignments. It shows up in that sociological exercise. It shows up in, in the theater class that the woman in, in Georgia teaches. And so it's just, it, uh, probably the only place it doesn't show up is in the, in the biology class, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you give these, you give the women inside just an opportunity to, to share and they will. And, um, and so then once they get that, get that, uh, get that out of their system and then they start to see the possibilities that exist for them inside of these classrooms. Mm. And so then that space um, becomes this, this place of refuge, if you will, because it's in that space, you know, that they are able to be free, um, free in the sense of I can, um, I can share without fear of repercussion. Right. And it's, I'm thinking of that term, um, loophole of retreat, where a place of captivity also becomes a place of, of refuge, if you will. And so this is what, what happens within these classrooms. And, and so, like I said, then they start to see the possibilities. And um, some of the uh, instructors told me that some of their students would say, you know, I, I didn't, I was always told I was stupid or I didn't know that I was smart or, you know, so they, they start to see then how the education is transforming them because they start to realize, hey, hey, I am smart. You know, hey, I do mm-hmm. have something to contribute. And so that's, that, that too is liberating because it's, it's opening their minds and it's, and it's showing them that, their um where they are in prison is they are physically held captive but you know their mind their mind can be free totally right mm-hmm. and so that so that's the the paradox of um of this whole thing right and so they the fact that these women can become creative can become um can can engage in intellectual activities in a place that doesn't promote that at all. That doesn't even promote right. you thinking right. for yourself. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's where the the heart of this of of this is, and that's the paradox of all of this. And um, for me, the most fascinating part of this whole project is you know seeing how the women are are blossoming. In an right. environment, in an environment that that oppresses them, um, because they are women, and oppresses them mm-hmm. um, because they are incarcerated. Right, and in, and in that way too, I mean, I think we can say it's an act of resistance. Yes, right. definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Kim, did you have any last questions before we get into our closing question that we like to ask our wonderful I guests? I have like a hundred different things. <laughs> I, I know. Shaking my fist at the clock over here. The importance of creating a space under even the shittiest of conditions, right? And mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, as you described, you know, having to 
rework your dissertation three times. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like people don't understand how deeply emotional and physical and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. taxing, physically taxing that work actually is. Yes, right? exactly. So the carceral state, you know, and I, I say this to say the carceral state is not just within, you know, inside the walls, that it extends to all of these things that you've been describing, you know, with your own personal experiences in the academy and all these other things as well. And that I find that, you know, through these conversations, you know, I get renewed energy and I it, it's really active resistance, as Brian put yes. it, uh, <laughs> it, it's working and I want to keep doing this and I appreciate, yep. appreciate, you know, um, your time so much oh, so, and everything. No, no problem. You know, it, yeah. it's been saying, um, before we let you go, I'd love for you to answer, you already answered part of this, but I'm going to ask the question that we ask uh, pretty much all our guests is share with us what abolition means to you. You already answered the other part in, in your previous comments in terms of, you know, how you see your work as liberatory. And I think, you know, that's, um, we don't need to go and retrace our steps here, but I'd love to answer to have you answer the first part in terms of you know what abolition means to you. Abolition means to me putting it simply starting over because it's it's clear that our prison system is not working, and I, I think it just needs to be. I guess I would say abolished. Uh, I hate using that word because you and using the word abolition too. And you know what? It's funny because that's my answer. Seriously. I think it's just it's just starting over because it's not working. And if there was some way I always um, have this image in my mind of when I say starting over and and, you know, just like um, overhauling the system and and abolishing the system. I always have this image in my in my mind of um, buildings imploding and, you know, everything just coming down. to to the bricks on the ground and then we start to rebuild from there because Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. i feel that until that happens we're going to keep having these conversations um we're going to have to keep having these conversations about what what can we do to fix the system and in reality i I think that the system is working exactly how it was designed to work Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so um that's why I say we we need to to get rid of it and just start from scratch and just start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 I think. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> yep. that's, that, you know, the, the whole, um, you know, taking taking a standpoint of um, uh, of, of the radical scholars of, of the uh, um, the radical abolitionists, you know, and it's just. Mm-hmm. This isn't working. We got to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, agree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was really oh, wonderful. Like Kim thanks said, uh, we got to have you back in the near future. Yes. Yes. Available, so definitely. Really appreciate this. And if, if people want to find your find your work, find you on social media, where would you where would you have them go? Probably Twitter would probably be the best. Um, and I'm at Dr. Bree Will. And um, let's see, my website, which I need to update, <laughs> is 
<laughs> Bria C. Willingham.weebly.com. Yes. So those two places. Mm-hmm. Perfect.